Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and of course, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the solid advice comes from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We've got another fine Growing Your Wealth show lined up for us. And once again, if you're listening to the program today, if you've missed any past programs, you want to hear them. We are a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcast. Simply search Brian Evans Growing Your Wealth. And we've got very close to, if not more than 200 podcasts up there. There's bound to be one that applies to you. Brian, last week's show was a really fine show, as they all are. But last week's show was packed with a lot of great information. We talked about the JP Morgan Guide to the Market markets. We're going to continue to do that today. But before we get to that, I want you to recap a little bit what you talked about with Boeing engineers and people who are facing retirement. Yeah, certainly with the Boeing workers that are maybe thinking about retirement and trying to figure out when a good time would be, they have an option of, uh, often have an option of taking a lump sum distribution and putting that into their IRA account or taking a pension. Now, if you're going to take the pension, then what I'm going to say doesn't probably matter all that much. But because interest rates are going up, if you were planning on taking the lump sum, that lump sum is going to be much, much less after November 30th, 2022. So if you were close to retirement, thinking about retirement, and you're a Boeing or even a, maybe a governmental worker or someone else with a pension decision to make, then now would be a good time to come in and, and see us and, and talk about what the differences are, whether it makes sense to take the pension or the lump sum, what the break even is, with the knowledge that the calculations are just such that if you wait till after November 30th in the Boeing plan, then you're not going to get nearly as much. And Brian, I mean, when you talk about not getting nearly as much, I've heard as much as two, $300,000. In essence, if you don't pull the trigger and retire right away, that you could be working for a couple of years for free. Is that about right? That's about right. Yeah, you'll be, uh, well, I'm going to, I was planning on retiring in a year. Well, we're going to pay them to go to work, <laughs> Wow, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And so I, I think it makes a whole lot more sense if you're thinking about the lump sum to, gosh, if you, if you want to work, do something else for a while and maybe come back as a consultant. I know there's a time period where you can't just retire and then start consulting right away. There's a time period. But you want to make good financial decisions throughout your life. And this is another one of those. I've talked about this before where and I just throw out a number. There's, it's not based on anything. Maybe you'll have 30 big financial decisions to make in your life. If you get all 30 right, you're probably going to have good finances. If you get half of them right and half of them wrong, you probably won't have any finances. <laughs> yeah. The losses will take away the gains. If you get 90% of them right, you'll know, probably do okay. But why not get them all right? Why not try and get them all right and get good advice and decide what makes sense? And, and it's hard to do if you don't have a financial plan. So, of course, we always encourage the financial plans. But certainly with this Boeing payout, the lump sum, it's a very important exercise to go through. And I recommend anybody that's even considering taking a lump sum or retiring where you have this option to have us take a look at it. And once again, uh, Brian, as you said, there is some urgency to this, isn't there? Oh, yeah. 
yeah, after November 30th, it's gone. And, and you cannot call Madrona Financial and CPAs and say, yeah, it's the 29th. He said yeah. I had till the 30th. Can you, <laughs> can you line me up yeah, right. with one of your advisors? Uh, no, <laughs> that's too late. No different than our CPA firm. I would get calls. I remember back when I was doing tax returns, I'd get calls literally on April 14th. Yeah, I'm looking for a CPA. Oh, I, uh, I'd like to make an appointment. And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. No. In fact, I stopped even anybody that brought their stuff in within, I think it was three weeks of the deadline. Uh-uh, we're extending you, but mm-hmm. certainly no new clients. <laughs> but they'd come in on the 15th. Yeah, could you work this up? No. Here's some forms <laughs> if you want to do it yourself. You know, I was probably a little testy uh, after the end of tax yeah. season anyway. But <laughs> I know. There's there's a cartoon on the refrigerator in our office there that says, I'm sorry for what I said during tax season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the kind of hours poor CPAs work and the oh, stress yeah. they're under and right. the kind of work they do, it's so hard. And, and you're working, you know, with uh, difficult uh, uh, rules and laws and all that stuff. And trying to please everybody get it all right and oh by the way most of your year's work you're going to shove into 10 weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> it's tough being a cpa so you want to you definitely want to uh do this now you're hearing it do it today do not come in uh try and get an appointment november 20th or 29th or anything like that so once again there is a deadline to this november 30th but as brian said do not wait until a couple of days before that you would probably be well advised to do it by november the first just to make sure that you get in and get your your individual situation taken care of. And Brian, I mean, we're talking about Boeing workers, but really this applies to any worker that might have a pension. Is that correct? Yeah, I've seen this apply in many different times, but I've never seen it be such a big difference as it is now mm-hmm. because for many, many years, interest rates were pretty steady. And so there wasn't a big change from one year to the next, or you actually benefited by waiting because the rates were lowering. Well, now we have this massive sudden increase in interest rates. And so everything that we've been kind of counting on for the last 15 years is gone. I mean, it, we've never seen a change like this. So it's just it's now that it's particularly important. So once again, in order to get in and get your consultation, call 844-MADRONA. Do it today. You can also request your appointment online at madronafinancial.com. Brian, last week we uh, began our guide to the markets. This would be recapping the third quarter. We're calling it the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter right now. But if you would, just recap some of the things that we talked about on last week's show as far as the guide to the markets go. Yeah, the first thing I talked about was the valuation of the stock market. The S&P 500 is what I'm referring to. And the long-term valuation, the price of the market is correlated to the earnings of the S&P 500. So when earnings are up, the price should go up. When they're down, the price should go down. And it doesn't always work that way in the short term, but long term it does. So the long term average is investors have been willing to pay 17 times forward earnings for the S&P 500. Right now, it's closer to 15 times earnings. And so the market is actually somewhat undervalued. So earnings are, you know, I always look at forward P.E. ratios as really indicative of whether we have a overpriced or underpriced market and just kind of having that understanding that the valuations of the market will be uh, essentially long-term, on the long-term basis, determined by earnings. So, Brian, and then we talked about corporate profits and sources of total return. 
Yeah, the, you know, this is the the forward price earnings ratio is uh, the one year calculation. Now we're looking at a couple years forward, and the, you know, these are their estimates, J.P. Morgan's estimates. But what's interesting to me is that the estimate of corporate profit for the S&P 500 two years from now, they estimate it will be up about 25%. That's a lot. That is a lot of increase in, in profitability. Even with inflation, I know expenses go up for companies, but they pass it through. I mean, inflation gets passed through to the consumer. So we're seeing, I, I see a situation where, okay, the markets are in turmoil now, but in two years' time, if some things can work themselves out, if the market is properly priced, I got, uh, according to this graph from J.P. Morgan, there's a 25% increase in profits, which could certainly, could, not saying it will, but it could certainly help the market in a similar way. We're recapping the guide to the markets, what we talked about last week with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs, in case you missed the show. So, Brian, let's continue with this this week. And last week, we left off with real estate. But this week, let's start with residential real estate. What are you seeing there? Yeah, some people are thinking that residential real estate, oh, gosh, it's dropping, dropping, dropping. No, our expectations are. So we used to expect to list a house. You get 30 offers by noon. Uh, Most of them were were way above what your price was. You have a bidding war. Mm -hmm. And then you're worried about the bank appraisal coming through right. And when it doesn't, you're going, okay, how are they going to get this finance? They're paying 300000 more than the place is worth. The bank doesn't want to take that risk, and so you got those problems. So it was a tough market for everybody. It was a tough market for appraisers, for mortgage companies, for realtors on both sides. Deals, I mean, sure, the price was there if you're selling, but again, if your appraisal doesn't come in and they're financing it, you got a problem. Right. And so there's all this stuff, and it just was a, you know, it was a tough market. Prices were, everybody kind of knew, prices were just completely out of control in many instances. So as I hear people say, oh, the market's down, I'm like, no, you had a million dollar house, you thought it was worth, you know, a million and a half, and now you're you're back to where, oh yeah, it's probably a million. Okay, you're just getting your expectation in the right place. And now when you list a house, instead of getting 30 offers by noon, you know, you might get a couple offers. You right. might get one, you, you two. Well, that's how it used to be, and that's that's normal. And so we're just getting back to normalcy. I, I did want to point that out. But one of the things I, I noticed on this graph, residential real estate, uh, housing inventories are way low. New and existing single-family homes for sale are well below the average. They're at about two-thirds of what the average is. So even with uh, you know the prices you know settling back to normalcy, there's still a lack of inventory. And I think there were a lot of buyers out there that didn't get a house because they were one of those 30 or 29 offers that didn't get taken whenever they offered on something. Yeah, and I noticed, too, that the rental vacancy rates as a result of those people not able to get the houses that they wanted or not able to afford the houses that they started, those vacancy rates are almost at an all-time low. Yeah, rental vacancy rates, another telling uh, stat, is low, uh, meaning apartments and, and rental houses and so forth, they're in high demand. Again, a lot of people weren't able to buy. And now, of course, with interest rates up, they, they still can't buy. They can't afford the mortgage payment for the house they, they thought they were able to get. So it's kind of a it's kind of a, a weird thing. You know, I go back to my million dollar analogy. Uh, let's say that someone that bought the house ended up paying a million three and got a good interest rate. And now it's back down to a million. Somebody buys at that. They don't get a good interest rate. Their payment might be about the same. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. 
because you know one person had to overpay but got a good rate but actually it's not it's not that good actually i think that uh, the person buying for a million now if they're financing it are probably paying more than the person is paying that that paid a million thirty for that same house back when rates were low so it certainly uh, is driving people back uh, into renting and as I just mentioned, inventories are low. Right. And so they're still, it's still kind of probably a little depressing if you couldn't get into a house. You're, you're looking around, there's not a lot for sale. And the mortgage rates have made it uh, very difficult to afford. And, of course, the basics of supply and demand, when there isn't enough supply for the demand of rental prices, those uh, rents are going to be going up, too. You're going to find rents that are going to be as much, if not more, than the mortgage that you were looking to pay on your home. So not a great situation, but one that we hope will even more correct itself in the near future. We're discussing the Guide to the Markets with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Once again, if you want to see if your financial plan and retirement have roots that run deep enough for 30 plus years of a retirement, then request your rooted wealth analysis today. Go to madronafinancial.com, click on the button to get started. Once you fill out the basic information, which is going to take less than 30 seconds, you'll be able to schedule your rooted wealth analysis call to see what it takes from advisors and CPAs to build a retirement designed to last 30 plus years. Go to madronafinancial.com and click on the get started button today. It's not going to cost you a dime. That is madronafinancial.com. Growing your wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to continue our discussion of the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. And there's a lot of in-depth information here. Once again, if you want to hear last week's show, it is online as a podcast. So, Brian, let's move ahead here. The next one is Federal Finances. Yeah, a lot of people are uh, don't know what this one, and it's kind of important from a macro standpoint. Certainly, uh, the federal budget. So we have the debt and the deficit. The debt is how much do we owe? That's like your mortgage. Your deficit is what's your cash flow? And so this is a measure of the deficit, the cash flow. And so I keep hearing politicians say, well, we have extra money. No, 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 you don't. (laughs) You're in the hole. So as I look at it, the federal budget, there's about $6 trillion a year in spending normally. That's the normal spending when they don't have these extra bills and so forth. But $6 trillion. And uh, about half of that goes to Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So that's 47%. 13% goes to defense. Non-defense discretionary, 16%. Interest on the debt is 7%. And then there's another 17% spent in other areas. Now, how much do we bring in? We bring in about $1 trillion short of that. There's mm. a, a trillion-dollar deficit. So we spend $6 trillion, We bring in 5 that five, about 45% of it comes from income taxes, individual income tax, 7% from corporate taxes, Social Security withheld on your check, about 25%, and then tariffs and so forth, about 6%. So we're borrowing about 18% of what we spend every year without the additional borrowing that was going on. So it kind of drives me crazy. When they say, well, we have all this extra money because we didn't spend it on something. Like, no, 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 you're a trillion in debt. Mm-hmm. If my household was run this way, I'd be in big trouble. Oh, yeah. I understand what you're saying. I mean, this is just not a sustainable plan, is it? No. And some people say, well, it's always been that way. Well, no. 
Long term, the federal debt, the accumulated you know deficits add up to the debt. The federal debt has generally run about forty percent of the of the GDP, gross domestic product. Well, that was until 2010. So in the last 10 years, it went from about 40% all the way up to 80% before its current administration. And it went from 80 to 100 just about overnight. So now we're at 100% of our GDP is how much we owe. And you can't just keep, well, I guess you can, but you're going to be Venezuela or Argentina or, you know, have some serious <laughs> inflation yeah. because that's what the countries did. And then, then, then their currency just got devalued. But we're at a place where we just can't sustain these special borrowings of trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And what happens when it's 200% of our GDP or 500% of our GDP? Mm -hmm. I mean, at some point, we're spending trillions of dollars just on interest. And then investors at some point go, you know, you're kind of high risk at this point of me getting my principal back. So maybe I'm not going to buy your debt. And that's where all the cards (laughs) fall. Well, as a wise old man once told me, Dr. Bernard Melcher said, when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep becomes your downfall. And that really does apply today. We're talking with Brian Evans here about the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. Brian, we just talked about the government. Now let's talk about consumer finances. Yeah, consumer finances are in much better shape. So I just talked about how the government, you know, they're over $30 trillion in debt, and they bring in a trillion less than they spend every year. That's not good. But consumers, a different story. If you look at the balance sheet of United States consumers, they have assets, total assets of $162 trillion. 28% of their asset is their house. Other investments are 39%, pension funds 18%, cash deposits 10 and other tangible assets 5 So it adds up to about $162 trillion. How much do they owe on that? Well, unlike the government, they only owe $19 trillion. Hmm. So it's a much better comparison. The average American has a net worth, very positive net worth. And so one of the other things I like to see is debt service ratio. How much of their disposable personal income are they spending on debt every month and that that number is about 10 percent and it's not too far it's actually on the low side of where it's been so people are actually doing better than they have in the past so whereas i see consumer finances improving and the government finances are not yeah it was about 13.2 percent around uh, i'm going to say around 08 something like that but the question brian is why are we as consumers better at handling debt and running things than the government is because we're not trying to get elected. Okay. Uh, you know, virtually everyone. Why did they pass that uh, votes? You know, <laughs> I, I usually say follow the money. Right. So most things in life, it's why, why, why follow the money? But in the case of politician, follow the votes. They're not necessarily trying to find money. They would go into private industry and then most of them do and they get really rich. But they're looking to have votes for the power part of it. So always follow the votes. I'm sure everything that that comes up, they're going, well, do I get more votes or less votes if I transfer student debt from the student to the general population? They go, oh, you'll get more votes. Okay, I'm I'm for that. Do that, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Does it make sense? Uh, I don't care about that. But yeah, I, I would say it's it's because of votes and because we have to. I mean, we can't run a deficit indefinitely. The government can. We cannot. As individuals, we cannot. And so we're forced to make good decisions on our finances. 
So, Brian, let's move ahead here and talk about consumer confidence and the stock market. Yeah, I would say you generally they, they kind of correlate when the stock market's bad. People don't have good confidence in it, in the sentiment index. Uh, the average positive sentiment is 85, a score of 85. Hmm. Right now it's 58. Wow. And so, of course, that coincides with a bad stock market. That is important from one aspect in that 70% of the GDP, the economy essentially, is run through uh, consumer spending. And so it's important that consumers feel confident, otherwise they don't spend their money, and then the economy slows down. So I think we have that going on. That's more common sense than anything, but uh, that's kind of what we have going on. So Brian, let's talk about one that's interesting to me, and that is unemployment and wages. Where do we stand with that? Yeah, what's what's interesting is the unemployment rate has always been higher than the wage growth. And so that that's a normal thing. It's it's been like that. I I got to go back to 1980 to find a time where the wage growth was actually higher than unemployment. Until now, absolutely wage growth is higher than the unemployment rate. So I just find that kind of interesting. That's why, you know, people are, are having trouble filling positions. They got to pay more to get people to work and people aren't looking for a job like they used to be. And so there's, you know, pretty much full employment, which is kind of a strange thing. We, we essentially have a recession and full employment. Interesting. And lots of inflation and high interest rates. So it's just kind of this weird mix of things. I, I don't remember a time where we had those four. No. And as you said, when we were kids, we'd do anything to get a job. But these days, people don't want the jobs that are available. And again, the question comes, nobody's been able to answer it. I don't know if you can answer it, but if you don't want a job, there are jobs available. How do you support yourself? How do you keep a roof over your head and food on the table? It is still a mystery to me. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is, though, as I mentioned with consumerism, if you aren't working as many hours as you used to and not making as much money, you just don't buy as much stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, remember when every time an Apple phone come out, everybody had to have it? Well, now oh. I think people are going, well, I don't need to have the new one. I think I'll wait for three more yeah. to come out before I replace it. Because I don't have the money I used to have, but I get to play more video games or whatever you do with your free time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, there is a, a drop in spending. And so that I, I think that's, you know, this all, everything's connected. All all these, that's why we're kind of going through these graphs and so forth, just looking for little connections and, and talking about what the future might hold and, and where we're at uh, relative to historically. Yeah. When the new iPhone used to come out, there used to be lines around the block at Apple stores, but not so much anymore. We're talking with Brian Evans, uh, Guide to the Markets here, the third quarter Guide to the Markets, even though we're in the fourth quarter. So, Brian, here's the big one, the one that I've been waiting for. Interesting. Everybody knows that we're in a very high inflationary environment. So what does the guide say about inflation? Yeah, so the obviously our headline consumer price index is up, uh, we'll call it 8 to 9%. We've been talking about this on this show probably for a year and a half now, how it's actually higher. A lot of this is delayed. So, for instance, uh, apartment rents, when they go up and you're, you have a one-year lease, uh, yours didn't go up. So it's in there as, oh, there's no change. But it's going to go up, probably. And so those, a lot of this stuff is going to happen in the future. So where I keep hearing, oh, it's going to come down, I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't see that. And certainly with food, they report 11% year-over-year increase. Been shopping lately? Oh, <laughs> Been yeah. Been to a restaurant oh, lately? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 11%? And mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd notice that. So I've been saying that forever, but take away what you want. But let's just say inflation is rampant. It hasn't been this high since the early 80s. And, 
you know, we're, we were coming out of the Carter years there yeah. uh, in the late 70s and so forth. And so uh, it hasn't been anywhere close to this high since then. And so, you know, there's that's something to consider. People, again, they have less money. Uh, everybody got a big pay cut, yeah. uh, everybody. And so we're trying to deal with that. And, yeah, people are excited about, oh, wow, they're going to pay off tuition. They're going to do this, that, and the other. But my paycheck doesn't uh, actually buy what it used to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you pump trillions of dollars into the economy, as we've been saying for a long time on this show. It happened. We have inflation, and they're going, wow, we were surprised by that. I'm like, I think you, you're asking how come uh, our government doesn't take care of the finances. I really do wish it would be a requirement if you get an elected official that goes to Washington, mm-hmm. you have to take economics 101, oh, yeah. a full semester course. Like uh, I did in business school, uh, certainly did more than that. But got to take economics one on one. Basic supply and demand goes, you know, understanding that goes a long way towards understanding the economy. Yeah, that is amazing that someone who has such an influence over the economy is not even required to take a basic course in that. I mean, if you get a job at McDonald's to make French fries, you know, you got to have a course in how to drop the French fries in there. So I've never understood that. But from a historical perspective here, when I look back, yeah, God bless Jimmy Carter, he's still with us. But yeah, inflation about 14, almost 15%. Then Ronald Reagan came in a little while and it was down to below uh, 3%, but now back up to close to 9%. And just this past week on Thursday, the new uh, Kohler cost of living adjustment, which is not necessarily tied to inflation, but rather the CPI came out. So Social Security recipients will be receiving a raise of around 8.7%. So interesting stats here as far as inflation goes. We're talking about the Guide to Markets with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. You know, Brian, I can't help but think of those massive trees that fall during a storm. We're going to have more storms here as the months go by. You think they're set, but when you see them lying over on their sides, you look and they got these little tiny roots. It is amazing. Well, the same goes for your wealth, and that's why it's so important to make sure that your wealth has deep enough roots. If you're not sure whether your financial roots are deep enough to survive another financial storm like we're in right now, go to madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button to find out how deep your financial roots are. It'll only take a couple of minutes to uh, fill that out, ask a couple of questions. You'll be put in touch with an advisor who will examine those roots for you and help you deepen your financial roots. Once again, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. You'll be glad you did. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And this segment, we're going to continue our discussion from the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. And Brian, the next one is called Dollar Drivers. In essence, what is driving the dollar? I'll turn it over to you to enlighten us a little bit. Well, I I did want to talk about this a little bit. I'm not sure I have the answer to that exact question. But one of the questions I do get asked is, you know, a lot of people go, oh, gee, we have so many problems that the dollar isn't even going to, nobody's going to want it anymore. What about other currencies? and so forth. 
And I always come back to them like, uh, what other currency would that be? Mm. The yuan, the ruble, the peso, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, no, I'm not concerned about that. And in fact, the dollar is trading, you know, it generally trades at what we'll call it an index of 100. On average, it's been right around that and actually lower and much lower in the late 2005 to 2015 right there. It was kind of low relative, but lately it has been surging. So now it's 112 on the index. It hasn't been this high since, oh, about 9-11. You got to go back 20 years to find where it was this strong, which is kind of weird. We have all these financial problems, but so does everybody else. And they have them probably worse. You know, you might think, oh, a strong dollar, that's good, right? Well, depends. I mean, if you're going overseas on a vacation, it's great. But if you're trying to sell goods internationally, not great. So that's why Apple sales and and other tech companies that are exporting and selling in other countries may have more trouble selling their goods and services if it's denominated in the U.S. dollar. So, Brian, that's what's driving the dollar. This is an interesting graph. I want you to explain it to us because there are some pretty high ups and some pretty low valleys here. The Fed and interest rates. Yeah, the Fed like to tinker with the economy, and sometimes they tinker a little bit too much, in in my opinion. And so if we look at what the Fed charges, the interest rate that banks pay for loans from the Fed. So the first thing I'm I'm looking at is it was very high around 9-11 and so forth 20 years ago, and then it dropped down about 1%. But then the economy was doing well, so they started increasing the rates, a lot of increases. It went from 1% to 2 to 3 to 4 to 5%. And uh, a lot of people don't remember that, but that was back 06, 07. And then we had 2008, the big real estate crash and banking collapse. And so they had to drop it. It was at five. They dropped it almost immediately down to zero, Yeah, essentially to zero. And it was at zero in 2009, all the way through 2000, the end of 2015. It was zero for six years, trying to get the economy going. Well, they did. And uh, well, that helped. And it wasn't just the Fed, of course. And then they started rising rates again. And then they dropped them back down with COVID to zero again. And now they're going straight up again. They're three, four percent. They're projected to go to almost five percent again. And then level out long term, they project at two and a half. So that does have an effect on mortgages and borrowing and company expansion and and all this stuff. Um, I think that they tinker a little bit too much because, as you said, this graph has really high highs and really low lows. And ideally, you'd have a somewhat flat graph. So we have some certainty and expectation in our you know borrowing uh, decisions. But this this kind of takes away from that. Yeah, for the past twenty two years, uh, there's nothing really flat about this except for a really brief point there about uh, 06 and 07. We're talking with Brian Evans here about the guide to the markets. Brian, the next one is the Federal Reserve Balance Sheet. Yeah, so as a result of all the spending that the government's doing, there's been huge borrowing. So for the years from about 2011 through the next 10 years, the Federal Reserve had about three to four trillion dollars of debt that they had purchased government debt. Well, that three to four trillion, it was four trillion at the beginning of COVID, and now it's closer to nine trillion. And so they really have a lot. And of course, they're forecasting going down. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Hmm. 
Because every time I open up my computer, I go, oh, we got more spending happening. Oh, we're going to spend on this. We're going to spend on that. Money they don't have, by the way. So what do they do? They borrow it. So that's what we're looking at there. The federal balance sheet is pretty out of whack historically. It's never been even close to this. Brian, let's continue with our discussion and tackle interest rates and inflation. That is the next topic. Yeah, what's what's interesting about that to me is that we have you know, obviously we have both of those and going on right now. But it's your real yield. It's the difference between the ten-year Treasury yields and what inflation is. So a lot of times you go, well, I think I'll put some money in a ten-year Treasury and that will offset inflation. Okay, it doesn't, but it's a way to at least try. But right now we have a big dispersion uh, because inflation is so high. The inflation is so much higher that your real yield when you buy a 10-year treasury is very negative. You're losing to inflation by quite a bit. And I haven't seen this dispersion for quite a while. You got to go back. Oh, gosh, I'm looking at this graph. You got to go back to the, the Jimmy Carter years. Right. Since you saw a dispersion like this. A lot of people are talking, not a lot, but I, I have heard a few people kind of comparing a lot of the economic issues we had in the Jimmy Carter era to what we have in the current administration, that there are a lot of similarities uh, between the two. A lot of differences, too, but there are a lot of similarities. So that's why I like looking at these graphs so I can have a better understanding of history as a predictor of the future. Yeah, history doesn't necessarily predict the future, but sometimes it can do that. We learn a lot by looking back and not making the mistakes moving forward. But I'm not counting on that with this current administration. (laughs) I do not want to get into a political discussion. We're talking about the Guide to the Markets with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, let's move on to fixed income market dynamics. Yeah, I think this is important for people to help them understand how bonds react. As we've been saying on the show, you do not probably want to own bonds in a rising interest rate environment because the bond you have is paying whatever it's paying. If new bonds are paying much higher, why would somebody want to buy yours? Yeah, well, they yeah. will, but they'll pay a discount for it. So you right. lost money. Right. And that's what happens with bonds. Not all bonds are alike. They have different maturities. And so here's some very interesting stats to me. Rates went up, as we know, and the two-year U.S. Treasury, if you own that, you lost 4.5%. Okay. What if you owned a five-year U.S. Treasury? Well, you lost about 11%. Oh, but you just said the two-year only lost 45 or 5 Yep. And the five-year lost 11 A 10-year lost 17% this year through the first nine months of the year. A 30-year treasury. Now you think, well, 30-year U.S. treasury, that's got to be the safest investment out there. That's what some people would say, you know, that they're putting you into some portfolio. The 30-year U.S. treasury lost 31.5% in the first nine months of 2022. So the longer you're holding, the longer you're going to get below market rate interest rates. Uh, yeah, I used to throw that out there. I remember years ago, as like, well, if rates went up X percent, you could lose thirty something percent on Treasury, you know. But it didn't happen. It just it just haven't happened since I've been you know working. But now it is, and so that's the first time I've seen that. So Brian, in this segment, let's let's see if we can get uh, one more topic in there. Let's talk about the yield curve. Yeah, the yield curve is actually uh, inverted, meaning that often you can get more on a shorter term bond as far as interest paid to you by the market than you can on a longer term bond. And that's unusual when it happens. Usually you get rewarded for leaving your money someplace longer. 
that is not the case necessarily right now. So there are some instances where if you are going to put some money into bonds, you might want to go on a shorter yield curve and take advantage of that as opposed to, again, buying that longer term bond with uh, the lower rates, which is, again, very unusual. We're talking about the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. This is our fourth quarter guide. We're really talking about what happened in the third quarter and we'll continue and wrap it up in the next segment. Meanwhile, if you can imagine a couple of years from now, you're maybe at the beach, you're out recreating, you're uh, out in the water, maybe you're hiking, you check your phone, the markets are down, the news is panicking, and you smile because you know you are set. You took the initiative and made sure your financial plan had deep enough roots. If you're unsure about how deep your financial roots are and you want a reality check on that, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to begin to find out how deep your financial roots are. It's uh, only a couple of questions there to answer. You'll be set up with a Madrona Financial Advisor who will run through how deep your financial roots are. Once again, madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to wrap up our discussion on the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. And Brian, there is a lot of in-depth information here that we've talked about today and we talked about on last week's show. Once again, if you'd like to hear it all over again, maybe you missed any part of it. If you want a thorough education about what's going on, you can always get our show as a podcast. Go wherever you get your podcast. Run all the major platforms. Simply search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. And we've got more than 200 shows right there. There is bound to be one that applies to you. Brian, let's uh, move ahead here with the next topic, and that is global fixed income. Yeah, I want to get really uh, broad here. And one of the reasons for this is, okay, these are stats. And and why, why do we spend this time on these stats? It helps, I think, for people to understand when they are going to their stockbroker or whatever, and they're being told the 60-40 stock bond split is where you need to be. I don't agree with that. We don't agree with that here. And it's that 40-60, 60-40, whatever it is, that bond component can be troublesome. And it was probably sold to many people listening as the low risk part of the portfolio, the, the part that grounds it against the equities. But that's not what happened this year, especially as we relate to two things that happened, the strengthening dollar, as I mentioned earlier, and interest rates going up. So I'm looking at this graph saying, all right, if I bought, I'll pick uh, the worst one here, UK. Let's say I bought the UK bond market. Well, because interest rates went up, their average bond is eight and a half years. I would have lost 22%. That's terrible. But I just said the dollar went up in value versus foreign currencies. So now I'm looking at that same thing going, well, I didn't just lose 21%. I lost 21% in the pound or, you know, whatever I was invested in. But when I convert that back to a dollar, that's a 35% drop. So now this safe part of your portfolio, global bond markets, uh, the part that was in the UK is actually down 35% year to date. That's worse than the market. So I don't think that bonds are your safe part of your market, nor probably do you looking at your statement. That's reserved for safety is reserved for things that don't lose money. Fixed indexed annuities don't lose money. That's the safe part of somebody's portfolio, not this bond holding. So, Brian, that was the global bond market. Let's talk about the global equity markets. What do you see here? 
Yeah, same kind of thing. Where they're they're down in their their particular market year to date, they're down even more relative to the dollar. So there's two variables going on there. Uh, most markets were down. Uh, Brazil was up. <laughs> That's about the only one I can see on my list here that mm-hmm. that wasn't down and then substantially down, especially when you factor in the, the effect of the dollar. But the one graph I thought was really interesting. There's this graph here, and I know you can't see it, and this isn't the best radio when you're talking about a graph and no one can see. <laughs> I'll do my best. The graph was a pie chart, and the pie chart shows the percentage of the global stock market that belongs to each country, essentially. And it used to be the United States was 40%, and the rest of the world was 60 And then I remember it was about a 50-50. Well, now the United States is 62% of all stocks in the world. 62%, almost two-thirds of the global corporations are United States corporations, United States companies. And so uh, I look at, like, Japan is 5%, UK is 4 Europe is 11 right. Emerging markets, that's China, Russia, Brazil, all combined, India, all combined is only 11% of the global market. So the United States is still the dominant, dominant economic leader globally as far as it relates to companies, publicly traded companies. And for our Canadian friends, you're wondering where you are. You're about 3%. (laughs) So there you go. 3%. Yeah. Yeah. So they're about one, gosh, one twentieth. Uh, the size of the U.S. market. We're talking about the Guide to the Markets with Brian Evans here, the J.P. Morgan Guide with Brian here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And Brian, the next one is cycles of U.S. equity outperformance. Yeah, and so as a, as you look at the makeup of your portfolio, some people go heavy international. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. It was a good thing in the mid-'80s. It was a good thing uh, in the mid-'90s and a good thing in the mid-2000s. It was not a good thing in the mid-teens or even going back quite a ways. The U.S. market has been outperforming the international markets ever since about 2007, I guess. You got 15-year outperformance of 210%. So as the United States has been growing its dominance relative to the rest of the world, you would think not. I would think, well, gosh, these other countries are, are doing stuff and all that, but still the United States is outgrowing them as far as their dominance of the equity space. Also, as a result, the United States investments in the United States equities has outperformed foreign for quite some time. Brian, let's move on to international valuation and dividend yields. What are you seeing there? Well, just because we've outperformed for 15 years doesn't mean we're going to do it for 30. Mm -hmm. So I am seeing that the price earnings discount that international stocks do as a whole, have as a whole relative to the U.S., is growing larger and larger and larger. There's a big discount. So you're buying them on sale. I'm not saying they're going to do better internationally yet, but at some point they should. And so I'm just kind of watching this graph. It's been on a steady movement where the discount, it used to be, you know, we were at par back in about 2009. We had the same price earnings ratio as the international companies. But now the international companies' price earnings ratio has been dropping, dropping, dropping relative to the U.S. So at some point it's going to be a bargain. I'm not going to say that that point is today yet, though. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We're talking about the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. Brian, the next one is the emergence of the emerging market middle class. Yeah, I just found this kind of interesting how far certain countries have come. We'll pick a couple. Uh, India, for instance, they had a middle class in 1995 that was 1% of their population. Yeah. China was zero. Mm. Brazil was 30%. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 2020. And India went from 1% to 21%, so 1 in 5 instead of 1 out of 100. 
China went from zero to 40%, and Brazil went from 30 to 55%. Now, the projection for 2030 is that India would go from one in five to four of five. Wow. So India, that's the one that really jumped out at me. China is expected to go from four out of 10 to seven out of 10, and Mexico actually to four out of five also like India. But I see India really, you know, they're going to be the most populous country in the world. So you might want to put them on your radar at, at some point. Yeah, that is interesting about India. I mean, going from 1% to 70, almost 80% in such a short period of time is really quite amazing. Brad, the next one is diversification and the average investor. Yeah, so this is a 20-year average return from 2002 to 2021. Now, this is a little skewed because 2002 was a very low market. And we had uh, the 9-11 dot-com crash. So we're starting with a low point. So statistically, these returns are going to be higher than a typical normal average. But that being what it is, the S&P 500, 9.5% if you bought low in 2002. 9.5% 9.5% a year. Most uh, investment, the, the top performing area of the big broad markets was actually REITs, a real estate investment trust at 11%. And I would be publicly traded REITs. Be careful with publicly traded REITs because they trade like the market, but private non-traded REITs are something you might want to look into uh, with us more. But I look at that, but the thing that always jumps out at me when I look at this graph and bonds are 4.3%, but of course this last year, they're very negative. And if rates stay up, they, they won't be that great. Uh, the average investor has been earning 3.6%, which is below almost every category. So that tells me uh, average investor is bad at timing. They tend to uh, sell low when things don't look good, they sell. And when things look good, they buy high. And that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. And so if your timing isn't good and you're trying to time markets and and investments, you won't have good returns. And that's what this graph shows me. Brian, this has really been a lot of great information here. The J.P. Morgan guides to the market. We only have a few more minutes left. So let's wrap it up with individual investor asset allocation. Yeah, I thought this was interesting because what is it? What do people invested in? So this one kind of pulls it all together. People, uh, on average, have about 60% of their money in the stock market of their investments. We're going to call it not their real estate, but uh, of the investments, they're 60%. And that goes back to the 60-40 stock bond split we always hear about. So in in real life, though, it's about 60% equities, most of that being U.S., 44 is U.S., 15 is non-U.S. of the total pie. And then U.S. bonds are about 31% of the average portfolio. Cash, about 8 to 10%. So essentially 60% equities, 30% bonds, 10% cash. That is the typical average investor's breakout. And it's not the typical Madrona financial and CPA firm breakout for mm-hmm. our clients, but it is for others. We will have other things like private non-traded equity and debt REITs, structured notes, buffered ETFs, interval funds, fixed index annuities for lifetime cash flow, uh, others for accumulation. Then we'll have the equities and sector rotation strategies and so forth. Not much in the way of bonds in that uh, mix at all. So we have a very different approach, but I wanted to go over what the average investor has. This would be the one, uh, if you go to the strip mall, you know, and hire your advisor there, your portfolio might look like this. Uh, If you come to us, it it won't look like this. Brian, we've covered a lot of information last week and this week in the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. What is your general takeaway from this conversation? Uh, General takeaway is personalize it in that, you know, we we certainly spend a lot of time on the technical aspects of 
of what we're investing in and why and making sure we, we are very conversant in all the different products that are out there and being agnostic as to what our clients are in, if it's the best solution for them. And so with that kind of, you know, when I go through these kinds of analyses, it just strengthens my resolve to say, that's really important. It's not important for us to get better at sales of a 60-40 stock bond split. Some of my competition, that might be what they're doing or or trying to sell annuities or trying to sell only stocks and hate annuities or whatever. That's all sales manipulation, all that stuff. I'm glad, uh, again, this just strengthens my resolve to say, yeah, we need to be on top of this stuff. We can adjust portfolios as things change relative to what they've done historically and what we think is going to happen in the future. And I think that that's a a big benefit for our clients. I know it is. And also, of course, then throw in a CPA firm on top of that. So I feel good about what we're putting out there relative to maybe what I'm seeing elsewhere. And this just, you know, not a lot of people can go through this (laughs) series of graphs and and pull a lot out. And from my standpoint, Brian, this is an illustration last week's show and this week's show of how much analysis and how much information is considered when you're making your investment choices. You're listening to Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Our program is Growing Your Wealth once again. We want you to go to madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button to determine how deep your financial roots are. They've got to be deep. We're in a financial storm. No cost, no obligation, no judgment. Madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button. Brian, out of time for this week. Thank you so much for your time spending it with us here on the radio. I want to thank our listeners for joining us as well, too. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out of a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees of profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.